0: Let us pray. Almighty, merciful, and loving God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As someone pursuing ordination, I must say it's quite the honor to be able to preach on the day of my daughter's baptism. Reverend Ellendale asked me one day after a worship service if I would like to be the preacher for today, which of course, I had to immediately jump at the opportunity. But as time went by, leading up to this day, I started to feel an intense and immense amount of pressure. Now, I always feel a great deal of pressure anytime I have to preach. In some ways, I feel like John saying to Jesus in today's gospel lesson, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Only it's more like you are the word of God. What else is there for me to say? Besides, you've seen me, God. You have seen me talk in front of people before. No, there was this one time in college where I actually had to present on something business related. This is once upon a time when I was a business major. Honestly, I don't even remember the content of this presentation, but I still have this haunting memory of standing in front of my PowerPoint presentation, frozen like a statue in front of a bunch of college students, all older than my freshman self. Finally, I kinda just had a- move on and i actually never addressed whatever was on that slide not my proudest moment and that wouldn't be the last time i would freeze for my first sermon ever uh i actually blanked and lost my place hopefully that that doesn't happen today by the grace of god i was able to move on and continue on with my sermon you see speaking in front of people like this already brings pressure then there's the added pressure of preaching the word of god And then the pressure that comes with preaching on the day of my daughter's baptism now i don't know about you but i find myself so often getting wrapped up in anxieties and worries that are totally unnecessary everything that you might say is not the one thing needful for instance i recently just began my position as a hospice chaplain i'm sure many of you have had that feeling of beginning something new, like a new job in a new place with new people. As for me, it's been overwhelming. I mean, I've been a chaplain before in a hospital setting, but in this new job, I have different responsibilities. I have paperwork that has to be completed for everything I do, and I have to put in a payroll number for every task that I complete through the day in conjunction with the amount of time that it took and with whom I spent this time. Almost every day thus far, I haven't actually even bothered to bring my lunch because I knew I wouldn't have the stomach in order to eat it. For me, when I'm stressed, I can't eat. My wife, she's the opposite. I'm not gonna get into any more details on that. Perhaps y'all are thinking, what's the big deal? If you make a mistake, then you make a mistake. What, what does it matter? But for me to make a mistake, and have someone tell me that I did something wrong. Well, that feels crushing. That's suffocating. I don't want any of my coworkers thinking that I'm incompetent and unable to do my job. But the real core issue is that within my deepest self, that part hidden away from everyone, no one gets to see. I feel like a fraud that doesn't belong. Like I'm faking it and it's only a matter of time before everyone figures it out because of this, I, I felt like the totality of my worth and value as a human being has hinged upon the most minute of actions or decisions. Regardless of this, of my, you know, my stress, my anxiety, feeling like a fraud, I still had to do my job. I completed the orientation, completed shadowing nurses and social workers and fellow chaplains. And finally, was off by myself in my work, out in the field, driving from one place to another, hospitals, assisted living facilities, nursing homes. And I finally came across this family. By the time I got to them, I was pretty worn out from my days stressing out over whether I was doing anything right at all. Upon my arrival, after opening the door, the first thing out of this family's mouth. Maybe you can help us. So I prepared myself for whatever they were about to ask me. Our mother keeps saying to us over and over again, I can see the Jordan. We thought maybe you could help us understand what this means and then encourage her on. You see her husband has been dead for a while and is waiting for her. I can see the Jordan. I couldn't, I didn't. I was so busy worrying and worrying. I needed help finding my way back to the Jordan. And thanks be to God, God spoke to me through this woman and reoriented me while I was spiraling out in the wilderness, I can see the Jordan. Now the Jordan isn't just any river, now is it? Some events have transpired there. In today's gospel lesson, drama is unfolding, revelation is happening, but whispers of stories past are also present. Moses gives his swan song near the river Jordan. See, I have set before you today life, prosperity, death, and adversity. And when Moses had finished saying all these words to Israel, he said, I am now 120 years old. I am no longer able to get about. And the Lord has told me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. Lord, your God Himself, will cross over before you. Then there's that delightful story of Elijah with his shadow Elisha following him as Elijah is on a mission to get to the Jordan. When he finally gets there, he strikes the water with his mantle, that same mantle that he covered himself up with when God came to him in silence. And the Jordan separates that he and Elisha can cross to the other side. Moments later, Elijah suddenly gets caught up in a whirlwind into heaven. It's here. We set our gazes upon the Jordan today. John the Baptist is in the water, declaring that someone greater than he is to follow, someone he is not worthy to carry the sandals of. Pharisees and Sadducees have come to see this man dressed in the same way as Elijah, camel's hair in a leather belt, and consuming the same cuisine, while locusts and honey. Then Jesus comes on a mission from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Now John seems to be concerned with his own worthiness. The man he's not worthy to carry the sandals of now asks him to baptize him. Honestly, I think John is speaking on behalf of all of us and theologians alike. Not only is it weird that Jesus is asking to be baptized, but what need is there for the innocent one to be baptized? I don't know about you, but I've been trained throughout my years to think of baptism oftentimes in exclusively washing and cleansing categories, like St. Augustine trying to come up with a reason for Baptism to be necessary for, I don't know, an infant. The reason being, of course, to wash away the original sin. It's so enmeshed and ingrained in me. I think of baptism in terms of something necessary for my own inadequacy and that being its only purpose. But Jesus reframes baptism. He's so good at reframing things, isn't he? Jesus allows John to baptize him. Jesus allows himself to be baptized just as the many John has already baptized. Just as many of you here have been baptized. Just like one of us. Jesus therefore invites John to become a participant in the fulfillment of all righteousness. But something else is going on here. One of the more compelling ideas that struck me over the year is a theological concept proffered by the Roman Catholic theologian, Paul Griffiths, in his book, Decreation, a gift given to me by my mom one Christmas, which I must say is such a good name for a book about the last things. Decreation. The idea he puts forward is that in Christ's passion, space and time have become systolated like the contraction of a heart. The invitation is to think about space and time contra- contracted and folded in on itself in key points. And a point in space and time where this is most the case is at the point of Christ's crucifixion, which is ground zero of contracting space and time into it like a heart contracting, preparing for life-giving action. And this has caused ripples throughout space and time. Now, Griffiths, he applies this to the Eucharist, where something of the event of Christ's crucifixion is also present when we come to the table because the Eucharist is one of those places that has been folded into the crucifixion of Jesus. Eucharist and Christ's passion can be said to be contiguous in space and time. But I wonder if we might consider Christ's baptism bunched up, folded into Christ's passion. And I wonder if we might consider that here in today's reading, where we see Christ baptized by John, our own baptisms folded into that moment in history. In this way, baptism is not just the washing away of our impurities or inadequacies or things that make us unworthy. We are caught up into the drama at the Jordan. We are caught up into Moses speaking to us today. Choose life and prosperity, death and adversity. We are caught up into Elijah's and Elisha's trek to the Jordan, to the promised land. We're caught up into Jesus, being baptized by John. And this story and this event becomes our event too. Now, for those of you who are familiar with, you know, the physiology of human beings, The systole, the contraction of the heart, implies the diastole, the relaxing of the heart for the purpose of forcing blood through the arteries. In our baptism, we are united to the slow contraction of God's heartbeat, awaiting the rush of life pumped by God's restoration of all creation. Baptism, Eucharist, The sacraments given to the church for the church becomes a mean for us to access something of the restored creation and live according to God's heartbeat revealed in Christ. While we still live in a time of this fallen world with all its anxiety, the suffering, and the death that come with it. So when I meet this family, after speaking unloving and unkind things to myself, sweating from stress and putting my deodorant to the test. Here with them, I am asked, what does it mean that our mother is saying, I can see the Jordan? Now, one answer could be she merely sees it as the border between suffering life and life to come. In that case, I should just say, swim to the other side. Get there and enjoy eternal life now. Go on. Is that what I should say? What should I have said to them? What would you say? The more I've gone around to thinking about it, it took a lot for people to cross the Jordan, Right? Earlier I mentioned the fact that God had to bring about a miracle through Elijah in order to make a path through the Jordan. One side is the wilderness. The other side is the promised land. The Jordan cuts through. But maybe, rather than the miraculous being Elijah striking the water with his mantle in order to make a path for the Jordan, my eyes are meant to be set upon Jesus standing in the Jordan. Jesus stands right on that border Between the restless life and the life where we finally have rest right there he allows himself to be baptized right there as he comes up from the water the heavens open up the holy spirit descends like a dove and comes upon jesus and a voice says this is my son a beloved with whom i'm well pleased But again, I I don't, I'm not sure this is even right. My perspective is all wrong because I have been speaking as just one observing this drama unfold from a distance from the shore. But the truth of the matter is that I have been baptized. And therefore I have been folded in and united to Christ baptism. This voice now speaks directly to me. This voice speaks directly to you. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. God speaks this directly to all God's adopted children by virtue of being adopted through God's beloved son. 61 times the New Testament uses this particular word, beloved. Nine times it appears in the gospels. Three times in Matthew, three times in Mark, three times in Luke every time in the gospels it is either referring to jesus or indirectly referring to jesus in some sort of parable the other 52 times mostly come from the letters of paul james and peter referring to the members of the church the beloved status becomes the core identity of someone united to the body of christ A way has been made through the Jordan. Today, my daughter Zoe gets to join us on this way. Will you help my wife and I show it to her? Amen.